I truly do believe that hard work can beat talent when talent doesn't work hard. I've always taken that quote to heart, and I think everyone on the Olympic team does have talent, but at some point, there's no way to um, take shortcuts and get on that podium. So I've always tried to do things the right way with my coaches, with my training, with my diet, and take any advantage I can and outwork people. And that's how I think I've beaten all the best swimmers in the world. That's Connor Dwyer this week on the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. I know what you're thinking. Pretty convenient for a guy like Connor Dwyer to say hard work trumps talent because this is a guy who is a two-time Olympian and a two-time Olympic gold medalist swimmer. Just to break it down for you all, uh, here's what this guy has done. In Rio 2016, he won gold on the 4x200-meter free relay. Also in 2016, bronze in the 200-meter freestyle. In London 2012, again, a gold in the 4x200 free relay, along with a little-known athlete you might know named Michael Phelps. Uh, In total, he has won 17 medals in major international competitions, nine gold, six silver, and two bronze. I could geek out on his stats forever, but I think you get the picture. The dude is super fast in the pool, one of the fastest ever. He's obviously ridiculously talented, right? So this idea that hard work trumps talent, well, it doesn't really seem to apply to a guy like Connor, right? Well, not so fast, because if that's what you're thinking, uh, you're off the mark. Connor was not a natural talent right out of the gate. In fact, when he graduated high school, this guy couldn't even get the attention of college coaches, let alone land a scholarship to swim, which is unbelievably rare, at least in the sport of swimming, that an athlete of his caliber had not yet distinguished himself by the age of 18, because usually by this time, you already kind of know the score uh, of where this person is going to go. But slowly... Uh, A series of circumstances aligned. A particular coach and a mentor showed up. The right training partners presented themselves, and this person met with that person. Basically, all the ingredients began to congeal to bake the cake that is the superstar athlete we know today as Connor Dwyer. I'm Rich Roll. This is my podcast. And today, we explore the core elements mandatory for peak performance, no matter what the talent level. And those elements are hard work, persistence, consistency, and showing up always. It's the match that ignited it all for Connor. It's what continues to keep his bright flame burning. And I think it's something that you'll find behind the scenes with essentially every human who successfully decides to go pro in what they do, whether an athlete, an artist, a writer, an entrepreneur, a parent, or really anything. Uh, Connor lives it, he breathes it, he walks his talk, and that's really what I love about this guy, among many other things. So I'm in New York City right now, uh, but as many of you guys know, I was just in Australia for about two weeks for a couple speaking events, which were amazing. Uh, The whole experience was phenomenal, it was great. I just love the Aussie culture, the people, the food, the weather, Uh, It was just absolutely blew my mind on every level. And we were staying in Bondi Beach in Sydney for most of the trip, which was about a five-minute walk from 
this famous outdoor ocean pool called Icebergs that I got to swim in almost every day. It was incredible. I also got to swim at this other pool called Andrew Boy Charlton, which was perhaps the most beautiful swimming pool I've ever seen in my life. And I just love the whole experience. Uh, and one of the things that we did when we were in Australia is Julie and I took a ferry to a place called Manly Beach. And as the ferry was pulling up at the wharf and we were walking into town, I saw a huge street sign that said, home of the budgie smuggler, which is the uh, Australian nickname for the Speedo. I guess the whole town is known for that. I'm not quite sure what the backstory is, but it's kind of hilarious. And it speaks to the swimming culture of Australia, something I'm all about, something I love deeply. And it's great because the podcast this week is all about swimming. And because today's guest is one of the most famous and accomplished Speedo wearing people on the planet. And it's all coming up quick, but first. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for a proper recovery and function. Momentous products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentous's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentous for yourself by going to livemomentous.com richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own N.A. beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties, and 
deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Okay, Connor Dwyer. What can I say? Uh, Connor is just one of the nicest, most grounded, genuine kids I have ever met in elite sport. He's He's just a good, good guy. One of the one of the good ones you just root for and you really want to see win. And I'm gonna let him share the rest. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Connor Dwyer. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Manhattan Beach, what's not to love? Beautiful day sitting here with Connor Dwyer in your your humble Southern uh, California abode. Not so humble, actually. You're right on the (laughs) beach, right on the strand. And uh, I got to say, before we even get into this, as I was knocking on the door or like opening up the door, I had this crazy deja vu moment because I honestly think that I used to hang out in this apartment like in the late 1990s. I had buddies that live, I'm, I'm 95% sure this is the same apartment, not totally convinced when I used to come down <laughs> here to party. And the fact that I'm sitting here, I'm like, it's tripping me out right now, so... <laughs> Well, it's good to have you back in Manhattan Beach. Yeah. Well, anyway, man, great to uh, great to talk to you. Um, 
we met uh, we met at the Olympic Training Center when I went out there uh, via Jack Roach to to talk with the national junior team. We didn't we took a we took an Instagram. Yeah. We didn't really talk that much. Yeah, it was post practice. Yeah, you guys to were fuel up. We're working out. What was cool for me about that experience was I was there to kind of talk to the younger kids, but yourself, uh, who else was there? Ryan Lochte was there, Tyler Clary. Phelps wasn't, I think Phelps had just left when I got there. He wasn't there when I was there. Okay. Um, Ryan was there. I mean, well, there Decky was a, might've been there. It was a good, I think. It was yeah, she was there. She was just leaving too. There was maybe like five or six or eight of you guys, like yeah. kind of like USA national team in residence, like preparing for, for Rio. And I got to watch you guys work out a little bit. Super cool. And, uh, and yeah, man. And you guys went and rocked it in Rio. And now you're in the aftermath of that. And as I was coming over here, uh, kind of trying to wrap my head around, like, what to talk to you about and, and kind of looking at your, <laughs> your Instagram, I'm like, this guy's living like the life of Riley. Like you're going to the Super Bowl, you're going to the Golden Globes, you're going to the Grammys. You know, it looks like you're hanging out with Chance the Rapper, like you're going to Fashion Week and like all this stuff. Like, <laughs> What's up with your life right now? Ah, uh, yeah. The post-Olympic tour was, um, uh, it's been a whirlwind, but it was a blast. I got to do a ton of fun things. Um, I, I live Manhattan Beach here. I've been traveling around with my cousin, doing mm-hmm. surf trips in Costa Rica and Mexico, uh, adventure trips and then fun events. I uh, got to see a kid I've known from Chicago, um, Chance the Rapper since high school, did something. Oh, and, so you, wait, hold on a second. You're friends with him from high school? Yeah, my, my friend on the swimming team actually found Chance at an open mic in Chicago, has been managing him since, and it's unbelievable to see what those guys have done. They, um, the Grammys had to switch up the rules because uh, Chance is the only non-label artist mm-hmm. to, to be nominated for a Grammy, and he won three Grammys, so... It's been uh, an incredible year for for Pat and Chance, and I, I couldn't be cool. more that excited for is, what they did and, really and changed cool. the game. Wow! So you go, so you go way back with those guys. Yeah. And wait a minute. So Chance is not on a major. I should know this, but he's not on a major record label. No, and um, he he releases all his music for free, mm-hmm. um, which is very cool. Did a deal with with Apple and Spotify and SoundCloud. And um, they just make money off touring and merchandise. And he's done a lot of great things for the city of Chicago, which is right. where I'm born and raised. They've been struggling um, lately with, with gun violence, and he's mm-hmm. trying to help that. So couldn't be more proud of those guys with what they've been doing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. He's tight with Obama, too, I think. Right? Is, yeah, yeah, Chicago kids. You uh-huh. know? That's pretty amazing. So were you like front and center at the Grammys? I just went um, post uh, they, he had an event with uh, GQ after and, and saw a bunch of the guys that I've known since high school. Mm-hmm. My twin actually goes on tour with those guys and he trains them. Um, Your twin lot. brother? My twin brother, yeah. No so way. he's the trainer on the Chance Tour. Uh, they're going back on tour in a month or two. Big arenas. I think they sold out almost everything in, in five minutes. So wow. it'll be cool to see them do another big tour. Yeah, that guy is blown up. Yeah. You know, and what's the manager's name again? Uh, Pat, the manager, Uh, Pat Corcoran. Gotcha. Yeah, Yeah, he's sort of like a scooter brawn in the making. Exactly. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And we swam together, so. Oh, he was a swimmer, too. He was a swimmer. Chance wasn't, though, was he? Chance wasn't. No, (laughs) no, he wasn't a swimmer. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Cool. And you were at the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. I was at the Super Bowl. Game seven, I saw my Chicago Cubs win a World Series and the Olympics. It's been one hell of a year. Yeah. As far as witnessing sports and getting to partake in, in the Olympic Games, I 
I'm a born and raised Cubs fan, but what I witnessed at the Super Bowl might have been the greatest game I've ever seen. It was pretty insane. Yeah. I think they said with three minutes and 30 seconds left, um, Atlanta had like a 96.3 probability of winning the Super Bowl. So the, the, they had no shot, and it was that outcome was unbelievable. Right. So you're are you diehard Pats fan? Does that go way back? or? Um, my My... Cousin is friends with Robert Kraft. She helps um, him and the Patriots. So I've kind of been with them. I'm also, I I love Tom Brady and his story. I, I kind of, um, him not getting drafted. He had like a, I think I've seen his resume. He had, he blew it out that he was going to go into finance like his senior mm-hmm. year of college. And now he's got five Super Bowl rings. I kind of like that um, compared to my story where I wasn't recruited out of high school and wasn't that good my first two years of college. So I love Tom Brady's story, and I, I hopped on that wagon a little while ago because my Bears haven't been that good. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very interesting point. I was going to get to that a little bit later, but maybe we can kind of start to unpack that now. I mean, I was I was kind of looking at your Wikipedia, and out of high school, you were a 144, 200 freestyler, and like a, th- like a 445, 500 freestyler. Yeah. Now, for people that don't follow swimming... <laughs> That 442, is like, 442. 442. All right. Yeah. So like these are those are decent times. That's like a that's like a good high school swimmer. That decent. is not that's not gonna get you a college scholarship. And it's about the furthest thing from putting you on an Olympic team. Right. So it is a very Tom Brady-esque kind of thing. Like, how do you go? And that was like what, 2007? Yeah. And then 2010, you're winning instant NC2A championship. So in a period of two and a half, three years. How do you go from basically like a like a sort of a you know somewhat above average high school swimmer to being like this celebrated Olympic hopeful? Yeah, I mean, I, I was always the hardest worker, no matter what sport I did, and I loved competition. Um, a lot of things played a factor in in my career taking off my junior year. Um, I owe a lot of thanks to Janet Evans, who helped me transfer from Iowa to Florida. Got me in touch with Greg Troy. She, yeah, so let's let's slow down, dude. <laughs> let's tell that tell that story. It's an interesting story. Yeah, so I listened. My my dad's company um, hired Janet to give us a motivational speech, and I listened to it when I was sixteen in the back of this room, and and with all these finance guys. And I was a swimmer. I, I idolized her, and I heard her work ethic and things she did, and we luckily became friends. So, and she mm-hmm. always mentored me. I just missed NC two A's my sophomore year and I was a little bummed out and Janet contacted five of the best, um, universities in, in the country and said, I, I have this kid. He's very hardworking. He's just starting to grow. I grew five inches in college. Um, I was, I was small leaving mm-hmm. high school and four, uh, four of those coaches said, no, Greg Troy said yes to Janet Evans and a year later, Greg Troy was texting Janet saying, thank you for letting him on the team because he's the hardest worker. And he, he's I uh, was the NC2A swimmer of the year after one year at Florida. Right. So so out of high school in Chicago, you did you walk on at Iowa? Yeah. I So on. funny enough, a lot like you said, a lot of people get recruited out of college. I flew my own way with my mom, who at this time is taller than me. I'm 5'10", uh-huh. 150 pounds. Right, and She's for people that are listening, you're 6'5". 6'5", yeah. yeah, 190. Um, so I, I would go to these coaches and say, I just really got into swimming my senior year. These are my times. I promise I'll work hard, and I think I can help your team out. And I won't name names of these colleges, but a lot of them didn't even... I flew out to one school in particular 
said I'm here. I'd love to just shake your hand, meet you, maybe walk on, and and he wouldn't even meet me. So, and when you were in high school, just for context, you were playing other sports, right? So, were you a I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning and going to morning practice and going to practice like doing that whole like double workout like club swimming scene, or were you kind of late to that kind of work ethic? I was late to that work ethic. I was I was doing that. I was de-icing my car in Chicago at 5 a.m. three times a week when I was in season. But when I was out of season, I was doing all the other sports I love to do with mm-hmm. my brothers, friends, cousins. So I didn't really dive fully into swimming until my senior year after high school state. Right. So there was a lot of, I mean, setting aside the fact that you still had to grow a foot, like there was yeah. a little bit of untapped potential there, right? Because you weren't a guy who, and there was, I mean, when I came up, like, I was swimming with guys like we, they'd just been doing double workouts since they were like nine years old. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So That's it's how like, a lot of it is. You yeah. Know, so as a swimmer. it's, it's unusual actually to find like a diamond in the rough that hasn't kind of gone through that, uh, you know, that system yet mm-hmm. and still has, you know, a place to grow yeah. as they're going into college. So, all right. So you end up at, I was like, all right, come on. And they're like, yeah, I will we'll me this you, shot. You know? Yeah. They're, I think uh-huh. they're nine or 10th and they were who's the bottom the, of the big 10. Who's the coach? Mark Long. Uh-huh. Let was, me walk on. And, and after a year, I was the best guy on the team. And in college, I went walk on full ride at mm-hmm. Iowa, walk on captain at Iowa. And then I so went sophomore year, you're captain, of, captain the of the Iowa team. How much did you improve? Like, what, what did your team I went free from time? a 142 to a 135. I was the only guy at <laughs> Iowa. That's like an final. insane yeah. leap. Uh-huh. I took off. And then. So you. you so. Did you final at NC2As your sophomore year? No, I, I missed it my freshman year. Then the suit era came. And I'm still uh, not grown. I'm right. still uh, untapped. And I just didn't like those bodysuits. I hated them. And so I went 135 again. And I remember how frustrated I was not making NC2As my sophomore year. And mm-hmm. I just wasn't a suit guy. Or I just didn't know how to utilize the suit. And then I went from a 135, walked on at the University of Iowa, and went a 132.3 at, at the yeah, University. You mean at Florida. At Florida. Right. Yeah, my junior year and like 412. Right. Um, I went from 420 to 412. Literally dropped half a minute off yeah. your 500 free yeah. time. It's unheard of. It's unheard <laughs> of. But I mean, I the Florida work ethic was, I mean, some might call it like military style. I trained five to seven hours a day. The nutrition played a huge factor in starting to eat clean, but also I was just slamming healthy protein shakes. I put on 15 pounds of muscle in one mm-hmm. year. And and when you first went to Florida, were you did you walk on initially and then I went walk on scholarship full ride captain right. again? Right. Yeah. Wow. So two years at Iowa, two years at Florida, and and what do you what was it about? Like, what was the uh, impact of? working under coach Troy, like how did that change how you approached your training and your, your swimming? Like the, the kind of change more of the belief that I had in him and that he had in me. I saw, I was training next to the, the previous NC2A champions, Sean Frazier, Brett Frazier, and one of the best tuner freestylers ever, Ryan Lochte. And we would be mid set 6,000 hitting 200 pace. We're all dying. And he'd go guys, I, I don't know. I know. All I know is that you three are going to be in the NC2A final to Brett Frazier, myself, and Sean. It's up to you guys who wants to win it. And I was like, is this guy serious? I just got to the University of Florida. He's saying I have a shot to win an NC2A title. He kept saying that. 
I win the NCAA title. We have another meeting during practices. He's going, Connor, I'm going to get you in that Olympic trial trial final. It's going to be up to you to make the team, but all the work's going to be done and you're going to be ready to make that team. And stuff like that, he Mm -hmm. would just give me the confidence that, okay, I can get in these finals and I can race the best guys in the world. Yeah, the 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 sort of compressed time frame in which all this happens has to be a little bit dizzying. I mean, literally yeah. from being a guy who's like knocking on these coaches' doors and having them not return their your phone call to having a coach who had that who held that belief for you and and swimming with the best guys in the world. I mean, that happened in like a 2-year, 3-year time frame, right? Yeah, it was it was almost a, it was it was very shocking just everything that happened from from Iowa to Florida but just the positive people i had around me and the training partners i had the coaches the staff the nutritionists the the weight room the dry land it mm-hmm. all i just kept on getting better and better um with everything new we added to the table so uh, it was a fun ride for the two or three years yeah. i was at florida and how do you kind of mentally approach having to train every single day with the guys that you're going to have to race against, you know, like there's a potential to like really, that could freak some people out or burn, burn them out. Like if you're racing next to the guy every day that, you know, you're going to have to face at the end of the season at the biggest meet of the year, how do you deal with that day in and day out? That's tough. Um, I've always loved training. I I was in shock and scared the, the first two weeks. I remember calling my parents going like, I've never worked like this. The Monday there, uh, Greg Troy goes, all right, Hawkeye, let's see what you got. You're going to lead the lane. We're going to do 2400s on five minutes, long course, uh-huh. to send one to five. And I'm next to Ryan Lochte. And on number one, I remember I saw a six-beat kick, and he took off. I go, I'm going to have to do 8,000 meters getting my butt kicked like this. Like right. I want to fly home and go back to Iowa. But I just kept grinding and, and following this guy and the other NC2A champions. And I am a competitor. I would love to go toe to toe, kept getting faster, stronger. And eventually I remember one day we're doing 10, 100s all out off the box and I beat Ryan and I go, holy shit. I'm sorry. I don't know if I can no, swear. You can say whatever you want. Uh, I yeah. go, holy shit. Like maybe I can compete against these guys. And then I just, I refuse to lose after warm up. I refuse to lose in practice to mm-hmm. anyone, no matter how good they were, what their ranking was. So that one set, those hundreds, was that that was a turning point for you, where yeah, you actually I think started I held like forty fives, ten one hundreds off the box yards on um, five minutes, like a lactate set. And I think a lot of the team was shocked, and I, I shocked myself. But that was the motivation I needed to say I can can compete against anyone in the world. Uh-huh. And when you were a kid in high school. Did you have this belief like that this was going to be your path or was it just like, yeah, I want to swim in college. Like, let me see if anyone will take me. Or did you have a sense like that there was some kind of destiny waiting for you in this sport? I knew, yeah, there was some sort of sense that I I should be swimming, but I loved water polo too. I was like, should I, I I was a baseball kid growing up. Mm -hmm. Should I go play water polo? Is that my calling? Um, but I knew there was untapped talent. I, I could work hard. I just wasn't seeing the results that I wanted to see at Illinois State meets. And maybe it was because I hadn't even gone through puberty leaving high school. But right. uh, I knew there was untapped talent. And I did have a love for competing and working hard. So um, I think once I got to Florida and, and saw the best guys in the world and how they train, that's where I just said, okay, this is, this is the path you take. 
just start beating these guys in practice mm-hmm. and you'll see results in competition. Yeah. On that idea of hard work, uh, you know, give, I don't need it cause I understand this world, <laughs> but most people don't like give people a glimpse of like what, of what that hard work actually looks like, like on a day-to-day basis, like what an elite, you know, Olympic, you know, level swimmer, what kind of day they're putting in, in terms of training. And, and just as far as training, it's, um, two hours in the morning, then uh, I w- we can get into nutrition later, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm consuming probably 6,000 calories a day. Um, and the first two hours swimming, uh, at, at Florida, it was around six to 8,000 meters. And for people that don't know, like that's not, you're not just, you don't jump in the pool and just swim back and forth 8,000 no. meters and go home. You're like pushing. This, it's like a track workout. You're, you're using a clock, a pace clock, and you're doing interval sets and, and, you know, at very high intensities at times. Yes. Yeah. So six to 8,000 high intensity. Then we would hit, um, an hour in the gym or, um, consisting of weights, shoulder rotator cuff stuff, a whole lot of core work. We would do an hour of core work every mm-hmm. single day. And then, um, we would do two hours again, six to 8,000 meters in the afternoon and some sort of, uh, uh, we would do stadiums or boxing, something else, something boxing, outside really? the pool. Yeah. At but Florida. now that I'm in California and there's these surfboards uh-huh. around and, uh, a bike behind me, I, I, like to mix it up with all different sports. So I, I like to get out in the ocean and utilize what's right in my backyard or the strand, hit mm-hmm. a 20 mile bike while working out um, twice a day swimming. Yeah, I mean, this is a little bit out of the timeline, but you know, we were talking about how, you know, sort of your Olympic success has given you like a lot of very cool opportunities to do fun stuff, right? So you're, mm-hmm. you've been on this post-Olympic tour of like having a good time. So, and now you're living on the beach here. Like, how do you <laughs> get like your shit together to like get the eye of the tiger back? You know what I mean? Like, how do you wake up at the crack of fuck, you know, to go to <laughs> some practice when you're like, oh, the surf, you know, I can sleep in and the surf's here. And like, I know I'm going to go to the Grammys next week. Like, <laughs> it's harder, right? It's got to be harder. It's way harder, especially since uh, I've I've been... Pro in the last year, I had um, sponsorship obligations. I had photo shoots. I had interviews every week, maybe TV appearances. Um, it is hard to keep your eye on on the dream um, and stay consistent in training. But I, that's always something I've been good at. When I do set my goal, I've set my goal for world championships, uh, and I started January first. I've been dialed in since. Mm-hmm. So. When I do set that goal, I, I I dial in and I stay consistent with training. But um, it is in LA. You you can get invited, as you know, to fun events or to do this, do that. Some things um, you have to sacrifice. And and last year I, I sacrificed everything yeah. to achieve the dreams and goals that I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but now now they're getting waved in front of you, maybe a little bit more than they were before, <laughs> right? So now yeah. now you're going to get tested a little bit. Yeah, I wanted cool. to enjoy this year too. I. The last four years, I was up at altitude for 90 days, um, mm. had, a, had a very serious year. So I'm trying to just train hard, but also um, take advantage of fun opportunities this right. year. And what do you think that that kind of relationship is between the work ethic, like the hard work part of success, at least in the sport of swimming versus like the talent, right? Cause you're obviously somebody who's you've grown into your talent, mm-hmm. but I've heard you say already a couple times, like you really attribute, you know, a, a great portion of your success to like this focus and this work ethic. Right. So how do you parse that? 
Yeah, I think I, I do. I truly do believe that hard work um, can beat talent when talent doesn't work hard. I've always taken that quote to heart. Um, and I, I think uh, all, everyone on the Olympic team does have talent, but um, at some point you, you, there's no way to um, take shortcuts and, and, and get on that podium. So I've, I've always tried to do things the right way with my coaches, with my training, with my diet and, and take any advantage I can and outwork people. And that's how I think I've, I've beaten all the best mm-hmm. swimmers in the world. Mm-hmm. So you're back at Florida, you're starting to fulfill this prophecy, right? Like mm-hmm. you're like, weren't you like N2A swimmer of the year and you're getting all these accolades <laughs> and you're winning races like crazy. Uh, but the real sort of first big, you know, test on the on the world's greatest stage is Olympic trials in 2012, right? Yeah. So, like, walk me through that. Well, four years back, I was I, I qualified two weeks before the Olympic trials, so I I think I finished 70th or 50th in in the 200 free in 2008. I remember sitting there watching Michael and Ryan um, battle out a 4 a.m. and there's fireworks going off, 13,000 fans going crazy. And I go, wow, like, I think I picked a pretty cool sport. There's mm-hmm. 13,000 people in this arena going nuts for swimmers, duking it out. And I said, I want to be here four years later. And I was no one, like, in my story at that time as far as a competitive swimmer. Right, that was a year out of high school for that you, right? That was a year out of high school, yeah. And now four years later... I'm standing next to Michael and Ryan, uh, about to race in front of 13,000 people to get my hand on the wall and, and make that team. And the night before I did make the 400 free, I finished second with a training partner, Peter Vanderke. And I remember looking up, seeing the 40 family members I had in a dog pile going crazy. Uh-huh. I always have the you biggest huge, cheering section. Yeah. <laughs> Big Chicago Irish family. You had like 40 people come to 40 Rio, people. right? Yeah. Yeah. Dwyer, the Dwyer clan is, is Dwyer um, nation. Dwyer nation is unlike <laughs> anyone else, man. They, they go, they get uh-huh. rowdy and, um, the relay members all love it. Michael, Ryan, Ricky, now Tomley, they always, uh, we combine family forces and, and get the USA cheers going. And without those guys and without the support, um, there's no way I'd, I'd be where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, back to 2012, um, just making that team like you said and and my career in such a short time just took off it was a shock that right i hit the wall and wow i I made an olympic team when two and a half years ago i wasn't even at the nc2a championships Mm -hmm. yeah that's insane right so you make it in the you make it in the 400 free and the 200 free yeah or 200 free four by two relay four by two relay right and what was that like like showing up in in london like you're still pretty this is really like you hadn't really even swam at a at a major international meet yet. One, right? I swam one relay at a world championships yes. uh-huh. before that, and now I'm on the biggest stage um, in in sports events. How do you and, get ready for that? Uh, again, I had Greg Troy with me. I had Ryan Lochte, who I've I've seen win eight medals, and I'm training with this guy toe to toe every day. Um, and what is before we even go any further? Like it, it probably bears you know sort of comment on you know the the Ryan that you know versus like the Ryan that we see on TMZ right yeah. like as somebody who is his training partner who sees him work out every day spent you know countless hours with the guy you know behind behind you know when the cameras are off and all of mm-hmm. that like what is you know what is that guy really like compared to what we see on television setting aside uh, the Rio incident TV has um 
not done that guy justice at all. I, I love Ryan to the death of me. He's, he's been um, an incredible friend, training partner, mentor um, since I started swimming at Florida. And I'll tell anyone that if you knew Ryan and spent a day and a night with him, he would do anything for you. He's one of the most friendly guys you've ever, ever met. Um, everyone in the swimming community loves him because he'll take a picture. He'll sign an autograph. He'll do anything for you. Um, but he's just, yeah, he's been through a lot the last year. He's now training again out here with me. Um, but I, he couldn't be a better teammate and friend uh, to me over the last seven years. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. So what happened in Rio with the gas station and the whole thing? <laughs> I mean, can you, I don't want you to like, I don't know, can you talk about this? We yeah, don't have to no, talk about I can, it. I Only can if talk about it. So, you know. I mean, a lot of us, you know, go sober for for a year, maybe two years, six months. And um, we were allowed to go out um, the last night. So we just finished the biggest competition um, of our four years. Uh, everyone's on a high. We dominated the world in, in Rio. And so uh, they went to a French party. People got split up that night. Some were at this event, some were at that event. Um, there are parties happening all over the place parties and they're are, spread yeah. out, right? Like these are like long drives, long drives. Yeah. Spread out. So, um, they, I went to a different event. Um, I see them back at the village at, at eight or 9 AM when we're going to a team meeting at Copacabana beach and I, on the bus ride over, we, we hear of all this drama that starts coming and, and 
everyone's trying to piece together this this story that happened last night. No one really knows. And then it was just shit hit the fan. There's people getting interviewed during this meeting. And a lot of us were in the dark about what was really going on and what happened. So like you guys were sitting, listening to the news, like coaches can't say anything. Teammates have no idea what's going on. Jimmy and, and Ryan and Gunner and Jack are getting interviewed by uh, Those are the guys FBI that were with, agents yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and then by Brazil people. And then um, Ryan got out of the country. Uh, I was on the plane ride home with Jack Conger and Gunnar Benz. They got ripped off the plane by federal agents in Brazil. Right, that happened like right before the doors closed, right? Right before they- the do- doors closed. They're sitting in their seats thinking, hey, we're, we're gonna get home, um, all is okay. And then six agents come flying on the plane, rip these 22 year olds off. I'm sure they're scared shitless getting pulled off by agents in a third world country. And, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it went down. Right. And you had been like, you were, were were you with Ryan earlier? I was with them at dinner and then I went to a different event at a hotel. Uh Um, and they were at this, this French party all night and I'm um, sure you're glad you did. Yeah. I'm very (laughs) glad I was not at that party (laughs) and in their cab because Uh they got plastered over the media. Um, but I mean, yeah, they, they made some wrong choices on, on how Ryan told the story, but a lot stuff happens after you celebrate um, mm-hmm. a big win. It's just tragic that the story was mistold. Yeah. And what is it like? Is there any ongoing aftermath to that or did everything get resolved? Like, I forget how the whole thing. Kind of I, mean, I think Ryan got up. suspended for a year right, that's or two. Right. Uh-huh. Um, the other guys are fine. Uh, um, I, I know Jimmy had some tough stuff happen with uh, a business he was going to start up, but for the most part, I think um, everyone's over it, I hope. Yeah, well, the other guys like had to kind of, I feel I feel terrible for those guys because they had to live with this situation that they, I mean, they were at the wrong, they were involved and they were there, but they weren't the one sort of facing the media telling these stories that turned out to not be true, but they had to suffer the consequences of that. And just to be in a foreign country and kind of behind locked doors with, authorities you know at that age that's got to be a harrowing situation yeah that was tough for them and and i think they struggled with what what to say what not to say should i get ryan's back should i help out myself so i'm sure those guys went through a a tough mental battle during that time in their life brutal all right, man. Well, back to 2012. So <laughs> you're, uh, so you, you're going to you're going to London, and uh, this is other than that one World Championship relay. Like this is this is the big show, right? Mm-hmm. So like, what's going through your head when you kind of show up at the Olympic Village? <sighs> More just that I'm walking around with the, the greatest team um, on this planet. Getting, I, I thought the coolest thing was going into these huge rooms and getting to put on all the, you get to swag bags left and right. You get Nike gear, you get Ralph, you get Oakley, anything you want, USA, you get it. And I'm thinking this is the coolest thing ever. I get all free, free USA gear uh-huh. and I'm sitting here getting gear with Serena Williams, Venus Williams, um, LeBron, Kobe, they're coming to the village to say hi to us the night before we compete. And I've idolized these athletes my entire life. Now I get to be, I get to wear the red, white, and blue and be teammates with them. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a dream come true. And there was a lot of confidence because we had so many good veterans like Michael and Ryan saying, um, you've competed, you've earned your spot on this team. Some say it's harder. I think after doing this three times now, um, it's harder to make 
it's harder to compete at the Olympic trials than it is at the Olympic games. The pressure at the Olympic games, if you don't get top two, you're done. Your dream's done. So, um, at trials, at trials, I thought the pressure was worse at trials. Um, but I, I remember at London, I'm a rookie sitting in the ready room with, um, France who just ran down Ryan to win the gold, um, China and Michael just lost the 205 for the second time in his career. And he walks into the ready room and he's like, uh, Ryan Connor, you better get me a fucking lead. And I'm like, Oh my God, I have the greatest Olympian of all time telling me I'm a rookie 23 and I've competed once on the Olympic stage or once on a international stage saying, Connor, get me a lead at the Olympic games. Um, thankfully we did. And that's heavy. That was, uh, his race where he became the most winningest Olympian of all time. And he brought us in the huddle after and was like, thank you guys. We all had no idea. It was, I think, to win his 23rd medal of all time. So uh-huh. it was. Were you aware of that going into that relay or? No clue. No. I was mm-hmm. so dialed in on what I had to do to help the team um, win a medal that I, I didn't know what was going on. Coach Troy was good at putting, making me have blinders on and just staying with, you know, my warm ups, my massages, my ice tanks, nutrition, um, that. You're, you really, um, I didn't walk in opening ceremonies. I'm just ready. Right. I'm there to compete and, and get the job done for the team. And it's extra heightened. There's a lot more pressure in a relay context because it's not like if it's just you and you screw up, then yeah. it's on you. Yeah, you, you DQ I mean? the but relay. But are you going to be you're... the guy who's going to screw it up for Michael Phelps? And, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. You, there is nerves that way. You're like, oh, just do not false start. Do right. not do anything that's that's going to cost you. But... I dove in and I just remembered, I'm like, I've swam the 200 free so many times. It's the same distance. I know how to do this. Just have faith in your training, have faith in, in what, um, coach Troy has taught you and, mm-hmm. um, you'll, you'll do well. And I, I split a 145 one. So second fastest split on the relay. Right. What is the, uh, you know, what, what, what do you think it is about the Olympics that maybe you know, us who just watch it on TV at home can't really fully fathom or understand about that experience. Um, just, yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I think just getting to be on one team um, with all these athletes, like I said, that I idolize um, when there's golf, or like Ricky Fowler and these guys are back there wishing us luck. And Rio, we get out from winning a gold. I let off the relay. We go through the media zone and I have Kevin Durant just giving me a huge hug and high uh-huh. five and the whole the whole basketball team. I'm a big basketball fan. Right. I go, now we have Kevin Durant and the whole dream team asking to take pictures with four swimmers who just won a gold medal. I don't know if you can like really see that anywhere else. See right. Team USA come together and you have some of the biggest stars on the planet asking you to take pictures. Right. With well, you have swimmers. Leslie Jones like losing her shit for you, right? Like <laughs> she's, ready to ma- awesome. she's ready to marry you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leslie was going nuts. She was a she was a good one, a good fan. Then we had McConaughey in there cheering with the swimmers. Uh-huh. Um, we it was Rio and London were. Um, I'm lucky enough to have two amazing cities and two unbelievable experiences at my Olympic Games. And when you go into like when you're heading into like you're 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 in the ready room, you're getting ready for you know the four by two hundred relay, whether it's London or Rio. <clears throat> like, what is the? Is there like a technique that you employ to get into the right mindset, or is it just look? I've been training five hours a day for the last 
you know, 10 years, like I know what to do and you just turn your brain off and just go into autopilot or what is your approach? I'm, I'm, yeah, I've done, um, a lot of mindset work for before I race. Um, I, I have the same routine every time as far as warming up, getting a shakeout, um, listening to music, getting a shakeout by the massage therapist. And then I, I take my headphones off and, and kind of get in the zone. Um, I've rehearsed this race both in my head and done things in training day in and day out. But, um, I like to get, um, very mentally tough and in the zone in the ready room, um, stuff I, I've, I've trained on. It's all about racing and competing, but you have to break the guys next to you. So I'm getting in that mental zone, almost like I'm getting ready for battle. Cause at some point there's going to be a point in that race and it's probably going to be the last 15 meters where it's who wants it more and who's willing to push yourself mm-hmm. to limits that you didn't think you could go. So it is a weird zone. You have to get in your head that you're like, all right, I'm going into battle. This is going to hurt a lot, but I'm going to, I'm going to get my hand on the wall. And is that like a, an inner dialogue with you and yourself or is that about like head games with the other people in the ready room that you're going to be racing against? Well, I'm not giving the Phelps face. Yeah, I like, <laughs> I'm not in there like... I think people I'm like really knew what the ready people. room was until Phelps face became like an international meme. But Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, it's weird because you have these eight people. You're, you're just sitting like we are. We're sitting on chairs, sitting on the couch about to go compete for a gold medal and the guy's right next to you. Some mm-hmm. have music on, some are stretching, some are clapping and yelling, but I kind of stay in my, stay in my zone. And you know, these guys, I know like, them. You've yeah. Been racing. It's not like they're, you've never seen these people before. Like, you know, these people, you, you've yeah. raced them many times in the past. Yeah. Some of them I'll say hi to in the ready room, but I'm, unless there's a team USA guy in there, I, I'm not talking to anyone. I'm mm-hmm. just focusing, getting in the zone. And then that, when you walk out, I'm, I'm still in the zone, just kind of trying to get ready for my race. But when the gun goes off, I think I I do go into somewhat of an autopilot and do what I've been doing Mm -hmm. in training and only positive thoughts are going into my head. But the mindset like sort of exercises, are they, it's just like some technique you've developed on your own or are there exercises that you do or some kind of formal practice that you have for that? Yeah, we've learned through sports psych people um, on mindset and and different things to think about. And then um, some breathing techniques. I like to be very, very relaxed before I go off because I'm about to exert every ounce of energy I have. So different breathing techniques and and mindset, I think is like what kind of breathing techniques? um, We've learned them through uh, USA swimming guys on how to like try and expand our lungs. So so things I'll do. as far as inhale, exhale, and, and it's probably like a two or three minute exercise um, just that I think helps um, tone down my heart rate and kind of expand my lungs. Mm-hmm. That's cool, man. Do you know uh, Michael Gervais? I've, uh, yeah, he's worked with like the Seahawks a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. he's he's right down the strand here. Like, I haven't right, seen him, yeah. I gotta hook I'd you love up to him, work man. with him. Yeah, you should you should meet him. He's I'll a legend as far as sports psycho. Yeah, right? he's worked with a lot of swimmers too. Yeah. So um, that could be good for you, man. Yeah, that'd be How awesome. does, does it, did your, did your uh, training change from 2012 to 2016? Like what has evolved in your approach over the years? I've been all, some people have trained in the same place for 10 years. I've been all over the map. So after 2012, um, it was, yeah, I was there for like six months again in Gainesville. I just needed a change. I wanted to do something different. I went and moved and trained with Phelps for a year in Baltimore. Uh huh. And I just, how was that? 
Uh, it was, I love Michael. He's one of, one of my best friends, but it was in his heyday when he was, he was um, not in the right place. Yeah, which heyday? Which hey um, <laughs> around this time he got a, his second um, DUI. Mm-hmm. He, um, he was going through a lot uh, in his life and we, we lived, trained together. He was a great friend. Are you living with him also? Yes. Um, I was living with him at that time and, and he kind of needed to sort some things out. We had a great time living together. Um, and then I moved out here in 2014 and have been training here with um, John Urbanchek, Coach Salo, Jack Roach has helped me out a lot um, and a ton of weights people. But yeah, I did live with Michael for almost uh, a little over a year in Baltimore. Uh-huh. Working with Bowman? Working with Bowman. And then I, I worked with Coach Bowman. We we didn't see eye to eye a lot. And I think a lot of it was because Michael was um, not being consistent and he was he was all over the place as mm-hmm. far as when I was living there, training and doing things that he, he shouldn't have been doing. Um, and I, I think it that just kind of wore on me because the only way I knew how to train was to do everything right. And I was, and he was, he was not doing everything right at that time. So I didn't, my head was kind of thrown for a loop, Mm -hmm. um, training with him and, and Bob. And also I went from training in sunny Florida to, if you ever walk into where Michael Phelps trained in Baltimore, (coughs) people would be in shock and awe. It is a dump. No offense to, (laughs) Uh to, uh, the Baltimore pool that he grew up in. I don't know how he won 18 medals training in that training pool, in but he, he must be the mental, <laughs> he's the mental God because I was training there. I go, I'm depressed in here. I, I don't know how it get me in the But then sun. when you go to a meet, it's all gravy, right? Cause you're so, yeah. it's like, it's like Bud's training for Navy SEALs, right? I think like, there's books on, mm-hmm. on like lifting and training and like, um, dumpy facilities all around the world and how people, um, have, have done well doing that. But I like to train in, in sunshine and, and nicer yeah. areas. I don't think it's speaking out of school to just say like, you know, Michael went through a lot and that was a, it was a moment in his life where he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. And mm-hmm. he ended up, obviously, you know, the story's well told. He sort, sorted it all out. Um, and, you know, what happened in the wake of that is pretty remarkable. But for you, I mean, I, I would imagine you went there like, I'm going to really dial in. And yeah. he's like distracted and not sure he wants to be swimming. Mm-hmm. That's not an ideal situation for you to like take your game to the next level. Yeah. And then he, he moved out to Zona. They love the sunshine. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. And I'm out here and what I saw Michael full circle, just make a hell of a turnaround. We end up training again at altitude together three times last year. And, and he went sober for two years and I saw one of the greatest turnarounds I've ever seen from a friend and companion. He was um, a lot more, loving and um a better leader in general uh in 2012 i didn't i knew him we were friendly but he he wasn't that he wasn't as friendly with everyone in 2016 he was the best captain you could have asked for Mm -hmm. and and you saw that it seemed like he he wanted to be there you know whatever he needed to resolve emotionally mentally spiritually it seemed like he had grappled with that and and had like come to some peace and was there because he wanted to be there it seemed like in in london he didn't. He, he wasn't sure he really wanted to even be doing it, right? You nailed it. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. He 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 wasn't doing things right, and I don't think he was necessarily that happy in London. But Rio, he was ecstatic to be there and be a part of the team. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's inspiring to see that arc. You know, I mean, there was like this whole thing when he went to rehab, but then he like came back, and there was like a clarity to him, and suddenly he just looked 
like just from somebody who just watched from afar see him return to swimming and then he got like super fit like he was he's more cut shredded. than you'd ever seen him and yeah. you're like oh my god like Be he's gonna aware. unleash yeah like i've never seen him look like that before i'd never seen that kind of focus and intensity and it was because he had like you know reconciled whatever he needed to reconcile and was there for the right reason yeah he was a force to be reckoned with i also knew when i was at altitude and i he he's one of the fiercest competitors in the world he hates he hates to lose. And I, uh, Chase and I were sitting there getting ready for practice and who opens his mouth, Chad LeClough, the South African starts chirping to the media about Phelps can't swim this Phelps can't swim that Michael comes in fired up to practice. I go, I, if I, I will throw, I mean, I didn't throw down, but I would throw down a lot of money to say that this guy is not going to lose because when, when competitors start opening up your mouth against him, he will never forget it. The guy's been in Olympia for 24 years, and if there's one thing you should know about him is if you talk smack about him, that's going to come back around and, and yeah, bitch slap we you. Like, I can't believe like, anybody You're just fueling that, him. You know? You're yeah. just fueling him to train harder and, and uh -huh. beat you. Yeah, that's amazing. What was it, you know, what what else, you know, might, might people not, like, understand about Michael just from, you've, I mean, you've known him forever, mm -hmm. living with him in Baltimore or whatever. Like, you know, what is it, what is it an aspect of Michael Phelps, either at the pool or outside of the pool that, you know, maybe people, you, you wish people could understand, but maybe don't. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's been hard. He's been a star since he was 15, you know? And if you do, you do know him, he's, uh, a loving guy. He, he, he treats his friends and family as good as anyone I know. Um, but it, it's just by living with him, uh, and being one of the greatest of all time, I can see how hard it is when you, you go, to Whole Foods or anywhere else, and you always got to be on top of people taking pictures, and and you might get out of a really hard practice mm -hmm. that you wanted to do well in. I'm sure you know, like you can be in a bad mood if you're training for an Ironman. You had a horrible day of training, and imagine someone coming up and asking for pictures, autographs, do a video, do this. Um, that that might not um, you might not come off of, as the nicest person ever when you're in a bad mood, but um, he he is a good friend, good person. And I've seen a hell of a turnaround from that guy. Yeah. I mean, that's the situation he's been in his entire life. Like he doesn't really know anything other than that. And yeah. to know, like when he goes out into the world, just that sitting when at people dinner. roll up on him, yeah, that's going to be their one impression of him. And if yeah. he's not totally, you know, he can't be on 24 yeah. seven, yeah. Yeah. but he's, he, yeah, that's, so you, uh, all right. So you, so you, you bust a move out of, uh, out of Baltimore and then come back, you come out here. Right. And so what was the kind of acclimating to living in Los Angeles and training at USC? Like, well, I always wanted like, like Halloween and stuff. I wanted to be a California surfer kid. Um, so I knew I'd be out in California and I always, I, one of the coaches, it was actually a toss up between USC and Florida. And cause Janet swam at USC for a little, mm -hmm. I, I, didn't end up with Salo, but I always wanted to be out here at some point in my career. And um, after things were working out in Baltimore, I emailed Dave and or Banchek was out here, and I said, "What do you guys think? Would you be willing to go all in and, and try and chase some medals down in Rio?" I moved out here with with my cousin in Manhattan Beach, and 
I've fell in love with California since. Yeah. I don't think I could live anywhere else. <laughs> this is a spot for me. Uh, you're like, yeah, but you're such a diehard Chicago. All the people in Chicago are going to get pissed. <laughs> I, I, everyone's in Chicago. I'll, I'll go summertime Chicago, but yeah. I, I, the winter is tough for me if I'm swimming and competing. And how much of that training is with Urbanchak? Last year, it was a lot with Urbanchak. Um, just he had a classic style that... Um, everyone doubted me to make the 400 free cause I had a bad 400 free for two years and I wanted to prove to myself and prove to everyone else that I mm-hmm. could, um, make the 400 free again. So he, he's trained, I don't know, 25 gold medalists. He's a, he's a goat as far as coaching goes. Yeah. And, um, he helped me go the fastest textile suit 400 free out of any American. So we we pushed it the last year and a half training for that 400 that's cool yeah i i i love that guy i think he's one of the greatest coaches of all time um i met him uh i met him when i was a senior in high school i went on a recruiting trip to michigan so for people that are listening john urbanchek legendary swim coach i met him when he was head coach of the university of michigan i went on a recruiting trip there and and i of all the coaches that i met he was by far my favorite and then i like after I graduated high school, I made the there was there used to be this meet called the National Sports Festival, which was like a mini Olympics just in the United States. And you'd mm-hmm. have East, West, North, and South, and you'd come together and have this meet. And he was my coach at that meet. And I just I, I just think he I don't know. There's How something about that, that guy. guy. Yeah. He's amazing, right? But he brings the best out of you without with that in in a funny, humorous way, even yeah. if you have a, a bad workout. But he's been to nine Olympics, he's coached Tom Dolan. Mm-hmm. He helped with Michael in, in 08 when he won eight golds. He's just a legend. Um, and he still throw. comes on deck. He's what? He's, he's in his 80s. He he's is in he, his 80s. Is he? I mean, he's incredibly fit. He was always yeah. like super fit. It's a joke that he, he's been retired since like 2000, but right. he's on deck with me still to this day for three times a week. All right. And, and just for context, all right. So I met him. It was 1985. So that's like four years before you were born, right? <laughs> and yeah. I used to throw kickboards at Tom Dolan's head when he was, when I was like a senior in high school and he was like eight years old, right? So yeah. that's how much older I am than you. But to make the point of how, like, how long John Urbanchak has been a force in, in Olympic swimming and collegiate swimming. It's amazing, right? It's, it's amazing. And he's yeah. still on deck, like... Still like, on deck, wearing board shorts, sandals, and a t-shirt, drinking six espresso shots at 5 a.m., and then giving you seven grand <laughs> right. every single practice. So it he's out. doing this. He'll pull out old workouts from Michigan and goes, these are what the boys did. Let's see if you can beat it. Mm-hmm. So this is a question that that Michael Gervais would ask you, but I'm going to ask it. I, I, I'm stealing this question from him. Uh, do you think that you're... Is your, is your motivation, your competitiveness or your drive, is that motivated internally? Like, because you want to be the best version of yourself or do you need that external competition? Like, are you motivated by what, other, are you impacted by what other people are doing? Like, what's the driver? Um, I, I think it, I'd have to go with, uh, I've always had an internal drive as far as competing and wanting to be the best I can be in, in whatever I've done, especially athletics. Um, no matter what sport I've, I've done, I've had an internal drive to want to be the best on the team, to want to be a leader and want to be a captain. So I would have to go with internal. Yeah. Swimming is, 
seems like the kind of sport that attracts that kind of mindset because it is, I mean, it's a team sport, but it really is an individual. Yeah. Kind and of you thing, know, the, right? gr- the grind, you're four hours by, I mean, mm-hmm. you're with teammates training, but you're at some, some practices, it's it, it could be a three K for time and it's you and yourself internally yeah. thinking about what you want to do in this sport and, yeah. and how you want to make yourself better, fitter, faster and stronger. Right. So 2016 Olympics. Goalie ride. Yeah. So once again, the the gauntlet of the Olympic trials, you make the you make the team in the two hundred free and uh four hundred free. free and the four hundred free. Four right? by two relay. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I knew I I I yeah, I, I know I've mentioned hard work, but I I took it to an extreme level last year. And I think a lot of the coaches that I worked with will back me on that. Um both out of the pool and in the pool. And I had so much confidence, no matter what, as long as I stayed healthy, I knew I was gonna make mm-hmm. the team and, and whatever I was swimming. So um, Rio, or, or 2016 went exactly according to plan. Granted, there were ups and downs, but when I went into trials, I was never more confident to compete at a meet in my life. Mm-hmm. When I was talking to Jack Roach, he said, you know, Connor, of all the people that I know, like he just is committed to constantly improving and growing and expanding and like making, you know, better choices for himself, you know, and as you kind of get into this, you know, elite realm where you live and you do have all these opportunities and distractions, it becomes more important for you to learn how to like flex that muscle, whether it's like getting out of a situation in Baltimore that's not serving your swimming or, knowing when, you know, finally that moment's going to come and you're like, you know, maybe I shouldn't go to the Grammys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tonight. No, there were no awards going <laughs> you know, on last now. year. So what, what did you dial up last year to like take it to that next level? Was it nutrition? Was it just mindset? Was it like just training volume or? Yeah. I had nutrition coaches like, like you have followed, but I've had nutrition coaches that I would just, how can I get, how can I rec- recover quicker so I can bring it again? And, and beat all these guys and work out the second practice. So I had nutrition, but then. So what um, did that look like specifically? Just very clean, very clean eating. Um, oats, fruits, um, a lot of like healthy, clean um, vegan protein shakes, salads. I didn't go completely vegan, but I, I didn't mm-hmm. eat red meat at all last year. I haven't eaten it really. Um, and fish, veggies. Um, probably six meals a day, every day, but very clean. Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt the benefits of it, um, training day in and day out recovery, everything. There's not that many from my observation. Well, this is dated because it's based on my experience, but I'm interested in what it's like now in terms of how dialed in most swimmers are on their nutrition. Because I was at the, I was at the Olympic training center. I saw the food that they're feeding people there and I watched what the swimmers were eating and, I was like, there's a lot of work that needs to be yeah. done here, you yeah, know? There is. There's a there's a lot of work and I think a lot of people still when when they do um when they know when they do learn like you and I have learned, I've followed um Jack Roach, whenever we're at meets, we're eating at Whole Foods every single day, twice mm-hmm. a day, eating clean, um, recovering right. But um the, I think it's made big strides since you were swimming, but it still has a long way to go. Right. I mean, it's tough when the thing about swimming is there's, you know, I've dabbled in a bunch of different sports, but like of anything that I've ever like done, swimming makes you 
it spikes your appetite more than anything. You you're just, hungry all the yeah, time yeah, yeah. when you're training. So you're so hungry that you just want calories. So you become indiscriminate about where those calories are coming from. And you don't learn anything like that in high school. You're just no. like, go to Dunkin' Donuts, go do, you know, just get, yeah. the, oh, I can eat 8,000 calories, so let's eat everything right. and anything. Michael Phelps did it, the Phelps diet. <laughs> Look what happened to him, so I'll just That's eat that That's not way. true, I live with yeah. him. He does not eat that. <laughs> He was eating at Whole Foods with me. That calorie uh-huh. count is out of control. Well, I think that wasn't that. That was a story when he was like living in his dorm room at Michigan, like yeah. before the the before Beijing, mm-hmm. right? So I'm sure. He and yeah, he was like there. he was very young, so he I'm yeah. sure he could eat like that. But um, yeah, so nutrition was a big thing. But um, like you said, I think the biggest thing I had to do was sacrifice, and that was sacrificing going to fun events. I was training twice a day. I was in the mountains for for 90 days so i had to sacrifice a lot of friendships a lot of fun events um but i had that end goal in mind and i had the support staff from the cousins i lived with the family that have been there since day one but um what a lot of people don't know is what you have to sacrifice to make that olympic team and and it was a a drooling and and tough year of training for me yeah it it paid off dividends and you gotta you gotta live like a monk Right. Yeah, I was like a Sherpa up there. So, are you going to do that again <laughs> this year? I will go up for a thirty-day camp um, in, in Colorado Springs. In Colorado mm-hmm. Springs, I love going up there. Just um, there's nothing you're, else you're, to you're, do. You just get away from everything. Yeah. You just get to train, eat right, sleep right, and be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's stuff I love to do. Right. You can do that here too. I do love doing that here. <laughs> I will. Yeah. I do. Uh, I do live healthy and, and eat clean and work out here all the time. But um, I don't think I have to do that. That was a little extreme. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. So is Janet Evans still a part of your, like she, she, it seems like she played a huge part in changing your life, right? And she, you know, she lives in Southern California, right? Do you mm-hmm. still Yeah, she's pushing hard right now for LA 2024. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping uh, the Olympics, I won't be competing, but uh, I have one more in me, Tokyo, but I'm trying to help her in any way I can uh, bring the Olympics back to the States. And we're still very friendly. Right. And family. Family's a big part of your success equation right mm-hmm. seems like you huge. have really supportive siblings and parents siblings parents cousins um friends they've been at every big meet uh you can think of from olympic trials traveling all the way to rio when they didn't even know if it'd be safe or not mm-hmm. so uh the the support i've had is i think as good as anyone could ask for and what's that like having a twin brother uh, he, he just left. He was here for the weekend. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Actually, I was in Sun Life the other day and they're like, you're not twins. Uh, and we were messing with them saying, yes, we are. No, no, we're not. But, uh, a lot of people can see when, when me and my three other brothers get together, us four, 
we look alike, but my twin were fraternal. Um, right, it's not we, identical. Not identical, but we're we have similar mannerisms, and uh, he he um, loves to work out and stay fit. So um, right, we get along. So he well. so he trains Chance the Rapper and goes on tour with those guys, mm-hmm. right? So now, it's not weird, like oh, you're the you're the Olympic swimmer is getting all the attention. Like that could be, I could see I'm how asking that could him go to go to sideways. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, um, he's 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 done very well. He's now training at a gym called the Dog Pound in New York City. Oh yeah, I know that. I know so that's a, where my friend Brendan Brazier goes there when he's in New York. That's where yeah. Hugh Jackman trains. Exactly. Yeah. I I was I was actually when I lived in Baltimore, I would go lift and work out with those guys at five thirty a.m. in this tiny gym with Kirk who who started the Dong Pound and now it's like the hottest gym in the world. Right. What they've done in four years is is out of control. So it's cool that my twin gets to work out or, or train there, uh, train clients, and then he'll go back on tour with Chance uh-huh. and them. So he lives in New York City? He lives in New York City. Uh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, next time I go to New York, I'm going to New York soon. Can I'll, I drop get, in I'll, I'll, I'll have cool. him take you through the I'm ringer scared. in the dog pound. <laughs> I'm scared to go to the dog pound. Like, I just think <laughs> you of might like, not come out alive. Yeah, like Hugh Jackman trained, you know, that's where he becomes Wolverine, yeah. right? That's where he goes. And he's he's an animal in the uh-huh. weight room. But you can handle it. You've done five Ironmans uh, yeah, five yeah, in a week. I'm just like a skinny runner guy. <laughs> it's a different thing, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's a different animal. Um, that's cool. And the whole, like, I know you're like a sports fanatic right but that like runs deep with your family like your great your grandfather like involved with the cubs and yeah going way back yeah so I, I our grandfather um worked for the tribune and ran the cubs for many years so i was i got to be around they weren't that good mm-hmm. for a lot of the time i was growing up but i got to be around the uh the cubs players and then the dugout when i was a boy and um he was he was amazing at taking us to all all the cubs games home and away um and to see them win it after 110 years i had i flew to cleveland uh, my brothers drove i got to fly and they won game seven we were all in a huddle like going nuts uh in cleveland when they won so um that was that was a fun year we've We've traveled to Blackhawks Stanley I mean, Cup games. You can look around. Like, I'm there's, looking around the room. It's like Blackhawks. Yeah, yeah, you Black got Hawks, like Cubs, a Dwyer Cubs Olympics, jersey. Bears. Yeah, yeah. I've thrown out the first pitch, saying the seventh inning stretch at Wrigley Field. That was a bucket list thing as a boy. Uh-huh. I sang the stre- stretch 40 times a year as a little kid when I was at games, and then after 2012, I got to sing it in front of 42,000. That's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing, right? It was like, nuts. does that just like what do you make of that when you at like when you're in your quiet moment or you're like going to sleep and you're like <laughs> wow like this is my life the thing yeah things worked out well and things could be a lot worse i i wake up at 5 30 and, and look at the ocean and get my mind right on how i'm how i'm gonna be a better person today and um but when when stuff like that happens and i get to sing the seventh inning stretch it all i can think about is like this this is a dream come true and this almost isn't real life. Like how am I standing here getting to take pictures at, at Chicago events of things I was going to as a kid, asking to take pictures of Cubs players and now they they want to take a picture with me. I, I can't even right. really wrap my head around it. Yeah, it's amazing, right? And so what do you think, like what do you, like I'm trying to get behind that. Like do you, do you, do you feel like, yeah, man, I work for it. I earned it. Or like, this is some sort of pre, 
predestined thing or no or you just like how do you think about it i i think if anyone would have seen the work i i've put in through through high school and and how hard i work day in and day out in practices they would say i've earned it i i put in (laughs) i put in navy seal like training at florida as far as Mm -hmm. seven hours a day um and and while doing school getting a degree so i sacrificed a lot of fun things um growing up to accomplish um my dreams at winning nc's and making olympic trials but it got to pay off as far as getting to do Mm -hmm. uh singing a seventh inning stretch but i did have to uh have to take some fun things off and, and not enjoy those what is your like message to young athletes out there? Do you go and talk to young kids or do clinics or talk to high school kids? Yeah, I do like to go to clinics and, and just tell my story about how I was sitting there on the bench at and Lake Forest Swim Club listening to an Olympian. And um, at no point did I really uh, think it would be possible to be an Olympian. But I think telling my story is, as far as not getting recruited out of, out of high school, that anything can happen if you're willing to work hard and um, outwork the people next to you, have listened to your coaches. Um, that was something that's helped me so much in my career, just listening to my coaches and, and having faith in them. I think if you don't have faith in the person that's telling you what to do, then you should probably you reevaluate that. You had good coaches that. though. I had the best. Yeah. I've I've worked with Salo or Banchek, Bowman, Troy, uh, Jack Roach, I'm probably missing a few, but all of them have been with the U.S. staff for over mm-hmm. 10 years. I've been lucky to work with all of them. Mm-hmm. What is it? Uh, what is it about Jack Roach that keeps you coming back to him? That guy's a saint. Um, we just we just have good vibes towards each other. I don't know. Ever since we've run into each other on the U.S. national team, um, we we eat meals together at every meet. We we do trips. He loves surfing. He loves outdoors. Um, he likes healthy eating. We just uh, run well together. He helped me a lot last year. He probably flew out to California once every two meets and would would help coach me one on one. Yeah, there was some Instagram posts that you were throwing up where it looked like he it was just you and him like before the Olympics doing one on one work at like some random pool at a yeah. This hotel was a week and a half like before that. Olympic trials. I was like Jack. I know I've put on the work, but I am, I wouldn't say freaking out. I'm, I'm a little nervous. I could use you out here just to keep my mind at ease and rest. I don't love being like, uh, alone, not being around my coaches before going into really big competition. So Jack came out here and kind of put me at ease. Like, all right, Connor settle down. We're going to be okay. We went and swam in a beautiful pool right on the ocean, uh, for a week and a half before trials. And that really, I owe a lot to him getting my mind right before trials because I was like, it's just a nerve-wracking event to go into. If you mm-hmm. slip up, you're you're done. Yeah, wow. And uh, and so going into like trying to, you're now like in the very early stages of getting ready to like wrap your head around preparing for Tokyo, and we're in this like three and a half year period where no one cares about swimming. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, right. Like the the <laughs> the sheen, all the excitement of of you know Rio is starting to fade into people's rear view and mm-hmm. you know memories, and now there'll be this sort of well, it's kind of good for you because you can focus, right? Yeah. Um, before like the world turns its attention on swimming again, which is sort of the cursing and the bless of of of, of Olympic swimming. But, you know, entering into this next phase, like, and taking this, like, sort of 
the next step in this evolution, this growth curve of like always trying to be better and do better and learn more. Are there things you're going to try that you haven't tried before? Is there a different approach? Like, how do you, how do you like preparing for a third Olympiad? Like, how do you deal with burnout and, and keeping it fresh and interesting and, and still trying to push yourself to, you know, new heights of performance? Yeah, that is key. Having to keep it fresh as far as the sport is swimming. And I think I've done a great job of, of not just being a swimmer, but being an athlete and an outdoorsman. I, I love, I love to swim, but I love to surf. I, lo- I would love to go on a bike or a 10 mile run with you. I'm not afraid to do any sort of workout. And I think that's helped me throughout my career, just mixing it up outside the pool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm focusing really on stuff, the 200 free, the hundred free and 200 IM. So it, I wanted to make that 400, but I had I think it hurt me a little bit swimming the 200 because you swim two fours and then I swam two twos the following day and then a Mm -hmm. finals two. So I raced five times pedal to the metal within two and a half days at the Olympics. I barely slept, could barely feel my body after two days. I was so beat up. So I kind of want to try going into Olympic trials and Olympics fresh Mm -hmm. going into 200 free because, um, training for 400 you got to kind of train like a miler i'm racing a lot of those guys that are training even more than i am and 200 you can go against guys that are training for 100 so i'm trying to just focus on my best event which i think is the 200 free and i think it'll help me a lot in 100 free and making a relay and helping those guys out and the 200 i am and the 200 IM. That's the other I, I, like sneaky thing about you is yeah. like you're this unbelievable IMer, but because of Lochte and and Phelps, no one no one knows that. Those damn right. guys. I keep getting third. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been the third best IMer uh-huh. for a long time. But I mean, who knows what those guys are doing uh, if they'll be back? But I think I can make a 200 IM uh, team. Yeah. So uh, that's awesome, man. That's Tokyo. Cool. And and in terms of like the actual like pool training or sort of strength training, are you making tweaks and changes there? Like, does that, do you start doing less volume and more intensity or like, how does that look as you get older and, you know, you sort of uh, are trying to continue to evolve? Yeah. Salo does a very good job at keeping it fresh. He's like a new innovative coach that, um, um, that, that keeps it fun and fresh, different sort of practices. There's always like loud music going on at USC Good, good people to train with there. And now Lochte's out here. And as far as gym wise, I, um, I train out here with like Nick Curson, who trains a lot of MMA guys, just fast, fast twitch, um, things that are, he, he's, he'll push you to the limits, but I think it's helping a lot in, um, my fast twitch muscles that, uh, uh-huh. I can go endurance like you, but I need help for the hundred free to get those yeah. fast twitch muscles. Yeah, you gotta, going. you gotta activate that for sure. Is that out here in Manhattan beach or is that downtown? That's in Torrance. Um, uh-huh. and then I'll work in the gym at SC, um, doing, doing things I've consistently done, but I think, um, doing that sort of different style training has, has helped me out. Right. And how does it work with, you know, as a professional athlete, you're a professional swimmer, you have sponsors and you have obligations with respect to that. Like, how does that all, like, that wasn't even like a thing when I was swimming, like that didn't even exist except for maybe like two people. Yeah. So now like, I'm sure you have to show up and do you know, have a photo shoot in Houston with Speedo kind of stuff. next week for like three days. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you, you got to stay on top of both handling it business wise with your agent yourself and, and not straying too far from training, which this year you can, you want to make money, do as many appearances as you can. But 
when it gets time for the Olympic year, you may have to pass up on uh, opportunities, money, sponsorship deals, depending on how much the company or, or um, provider wants out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, if they want 10 appearances, are you willing to miss tw- uh, 10 to 15 days of training? That That's something you sit down with your coach and your agent and have to decide on. Right. Yeah, because you got to pay the bills, man. Yeah. And it's like, and somebody wants to throw money at you, you know, it's hard to say it's no to that, to but no. you got to like do what's in the best long-term interest of your career, right? Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, you've seen people now that maybe have done too many sponsorships and too many events where it's, it's hurt them and you can see it Olympic trials. So you don't want to be that person to do too much and then it shows in your racing. Right. For sure. Um, I had, a. Anthony Irvin on the podcast. He's the man. I, I love that. Tony. Yeah, I want to. I want to get him back on after the Olympics because I had him on before before Olympic trials, when he really didn't think he was going to make the team, and you know it wasn't even in his mind really. Well, at least according to him. No offense to Tony. And I saw him. I didn't think he was going to make the really? team. Really? Yeah, he was in a dark place. Uh, well, it was March of because he was training here and it wasn't wasn't working out yeah. right. And so the 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 decision to go to Charlotte was like a was like a hail mary, absolutely hail mary, yeah. right? And no one has a better feel for the water than that guy. He, I've never seen anything. His stroke technique is second to none. He's so fluent, and it's one of the prettiest strokes I've ever seen. But he was in the worst place I've ever seen him in March. Mentally, so, mentally almost physically because he he wasn't doing what he needed to do to train if you would have told me in march that anthony Irvin would have won the 50 free gold medal i would kick you in that ocean behind you i'd say <laughs> get the hell out of here rich you're kicked uh-huh. out but uh i love anthony he's such a good mentor his story is as good as it it's, gets it's you know insane. the nine-year bender that he went on and um, did you read his book I've read some of his book. It's I mean, a, I've I've done camps with Tony. He'll right. he'll tell me the dark stories. I've heard them. Uh-huh. Um, so the turnaround that guy's yeah made. for him to pull it together, you know, to go out to Charlotte and get his act together and show up and do what he did is is just I mean was just stunning. I mean, and to be there to witness that and for him to be captain of the team at the time that had at to be thirty five. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had some good old guys dominate. I'm hoping at 31 I can do all right. I think you're going to do all right. Yeah, it was funny watching watching that on television um, because the 50 free is where the biggest, buffest dudes tend to show up, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and Anthony's a tall guy. Like, he's a big dude. But when you, when, you know, on television, they go lane by lane and you see each guy and yeah. you're just seeing these mountain, these, these, these dudes guys are weigh just, like 220. Yeah, exactly. And then you look at, and then they show Anthony and he looks so skinny by comparison. That, that's why I say his stroke is like, just so right. damn good. He weighs like, like one, yeah, one seventy five. You're like, and this guy's got no chance. Yeah, yeah. and his start sucks. <laughs> his start sucks. You go. Well, he finally pulled it finally, together. Yeah, yeah. It, it, his start cost him in London. Um, all he needed is a good start, and he's got the stroke to do it and the yeah. speed. Well, that's what he got worked out in Charlotte, I think. Yeah, which was cool, right? Yeah. So hopefully, you know, he keeps going, and you guys can be teammates. I hope in so. Tokyo, I love that guy. Are you involved in that LA twenty twenty four campaign at all? A little bit, yeah. I mean, they put together one hell of a plan, and I, I think if they don't get an LA twenty twenty four, they'll get it um, the next one. I think they'll get one of the two, um, and. We already have everything built out here, you know, from right. USC to UCLA, they can use the dorms. We have the stadium getting put in Inglewood, the stadium at the Coliseum. We have we have 
beach right here for volleyball there wouldn't really have to be um too much it's i think it's we've got a great shot at bringing it back yeah, it'd be cool i had uh i had casey wasserman on the podcast who's kind of leading that charge and he was saying the same thing like essentially everything's built but they they would be like redoing the pool at usc I think, oh for right? sure yeah, yeah. I, i'm interested that's to see what they would do pool. with the pool yeah that's an <laughs> oldie oldie now. but goodie uh -huh. they would need to build a, a hell of a stance but they're ready to do it cool all right, well, we gotta we gotta wrap this up um, in a little bit here, but um, I always like to try to leave people with, you know, a little bit of of, of inspiration, you know, some just like actionable takeaways that people can like work into their own lives. And I, I think really, you know, my favorite part of your story, and I think what's so kind of cool and inspirational about it, is the fact that you weren't just like a star from day one; that you were this guy who like literally wasn't getting recruited. You were like a very average high school swimmer. Who was able to flip that switch and and become something very different? So, you know, what can you leave people with that they can sort of think about or implement into their own lives to you know perhaps reframe how they think about themselves and and the limits that we put on our you know what we think we're capable of achieving? Yeah, I think you're, you, there's just always more in the tank, and you can never really dream too big. I, a lot of people would have thought my dream of making the Olympics was too big. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't big enough. I wasn't fast enough, but, um, I'm glad I, I was able to dream that big. So to just open up your mind and if you really do want it bad enough, um, you can achieve it through, through working hard enough. Mm -hmm. All right, man. I love it. Thanks. Thanks, Connor. Thank you for we having did it, dude. me. That yeah. was awesome. How you feel? Feel great. Have you done a podcast before? Never. First podcast. First one. Excellent, man. Well, hopefully more podcasts to come. Yeah. Right on. All right, we're going to go to Sun Life. And get let's, a green go, let's go to Sun Life. Daily hit. All right. Always. Cool. Uh, if you're digging on Connor, the best way to connect with him is you can tap into his massive Instagram account, <laughs> Connor J. Dwyer on Instagram. You don't have a, Do you have a website too? I don't have a website. I, I use just Instagram, Twitter, uh -huh. and Facebook. Cool. So you Connor contact J, me there. Connor J. Dwyer across the board on everything? Everything. All right, man. Keep it easy, simple. Cool. All right. Thanks, man. Great talking to you. Thanks. Peace. Let's. All right, we did it. Hope you guys dug that. If you're stoked on Connor Dwyer, you can check him out online at Connor J. Dwyer on both Instagram and Twitter. Give him a follow. Give him a hey, hey. Uh, and let him know what you thought about the podcast. He actually invited me to do a little bit of training when I get back to Los Angeles. So I'm definitely going to take him up on that. And uh, maybe I'll bring you guys a little behind the scenes on YouTube or Instagram. So stay tuned for that. Uh, quick note, glad you guys enjoyed last week's show with Kip and Keegan from Cowspiracy and now the new movie, What the Health. Uh, that podcast was super popular and I want to thank everybody who made a point of watching the film in the first four days because that raised a ton of money for Food Not Bombs. I got so many nice messages from people who saw it, who enjoyed it, who enjoyed seeing my little cameo, who shared the movie with their friends. And if you have not yet seen it, uh, just uh, a reminder, you can watch it and you can stream it by just going to whatthehealthfilm.com. So do that. Uh, if you would like to support this show and my work, uh, there's a couple simple ways to do that. You can share the podcast with your friends and on social media. Uh, leave a review on iTunes. If you haven't done that so already, please make sure to click that subscribe button. That helps us out the most. Uh, and also, we have an Amazon banner ad at ritual.com, or you can just type in ritual.com forward slash Amazon. Takes you to Amazon. Buy whatever you are already going to buy. Won't cost you anything extra. 
but Amazon kicks us some commissions on that and it really does help float this boat. We also have a Patreon, so big love to everybody who has contributed financially to my work. I really, really appreciate that tremendously. Uh, for all your plant power merch and swag needs, go to richroll.com. We got signed copies of Finding Ultra as well as the Plant Power Way. Do you guys have these books yet? If you don't, maybe check them out. We got t-shirts, we got tech tees, we got sticker packs and all kinds of cool stuff. Mad love to everybody who supported the production of this week's podcast. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering and production, as well as help with the show notes. Jason is taking on a more expanded role in the podcast, and I'm excited about that. Sean Patterson for help on graphics and theme music by Analemma. Thanks for the love, you guys. I'm in New York City for the week. I'm stoked. I got some cool stuff here that I'm going to do that I'm going to be bringing to you guys soon. And until then, make it a great week. Peace. Plants. Yeah.